listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. In this um, series, I've given myself a little theme, uh, which has been the theme of desperation. If you haven't heard the last couple of messages, I encourage you to go back online and listen to them. And it's this idea of sacred desperation and what does that look like and how is it manifested in our lives. Today, we're going to look at an account that is fueled by desperation and yet motivated and moved by faith. Hebrews 11 defines faith as now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. See, faith is more than just the acknowledgement of a certain set of beliefs. I think many times we acknowledge or we reduce faith to something like that. Like, I have faith because I believe in X, Y, Z, but it's so much more than that. What we find all throughout Scripture is that faith is really tethered to action. Listen to what James chapter 2 says, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. If any one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In other words, I'll just pray for you. Good luck. Having the ability to do something about it, you do nothing. Verse 17, this is in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, it's not one without the other. Our God-given faith is manifested in our actions. What we believe is ultimately portrayed in our behavior, in our conduct, in everything we do. Our conduct reveals our beliefs, whether we like it or not. I think that's part of the tension we find ourselves in 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 regular life. We say that we believe certain things, but then our actions are something else. Anybody can identify with that? You have that tension where you say, I believe this, but then you conduct yourself a certain way, and there seems to be a a dissonance, a discongruent, an incongruency in, in how you're approaching life. I think that's part of the nature of us walking out our faith. Faith is more than just simply hearing a word. Faith actually catapults us into God's mission. In Mark chapter two, we come across a rather familiar yet powerful story of a paralyzed man who is both forgiven and healed by Jesus. Now, Jesus was in the town of Capernaum, and it believed that this was where Jesus Uh, made his home as an adult. Word had gotten out that Jesus was back in town, so people started coming from all over when you start reading uh, the book of Mark, and they're coming to seek help and healing and deliverance of all kinds, and Jesus would take advantage in a a positive way of the fact that there were crowds, and and Scripture says that he would preach the word to them. Now, people started coming from all over, and then one time, they're crammed into this little house. We're not sure if it's actually Jesus' house or not, but um, they're crammed into this little house. It's crazier than a Taylor Swift concert, people trying to get in and out and move around, and it's, it, they don't have millions of people in this little town, but they have a lot of folks that are beginning to come in from all over. <clears throat> it says they gather, gathered in such a large numbers that there was no room left even outside the door. So you're thinking, like, this is standing room only, and it is jam-packed. Jesus' popularity was growing, his reputation was out, people were wanting all sorts of things from Jesus. And I think people were longing for something real, something authentic, something full of life and power. 
not, they weren't seeking a religious roadmap. They weren't seeking what things they could do differently in their life. They had needs, and they're going straight to Jesus for it. The proclamation of the word of God usually is followed by signs and wonders. There are groups of people that simply want just a proclamation of the word, and this is what you're supposed to believe, and this is truth, and believe it, and this is good enough, and we don't want the signs and wonders. Then we have other groups of people that only want signs and wonders. We just want God to do cool stuff and feel, feel the, you know, the, the holy butterflies inside. I'm like, man, that was awesome, but not grounded in truth, it seemed to fade. But I think it's, it's given us this idea of, of faith and works going hand in hand. And this is what Jesus is beginning to unveil for his people. And I think it's something beautiful when you and I are able to surrender to God's word. It doesn't happen overnight. It's over time that we begin to open ourselves up to God's word, and God's word begins to take a hold of our lives. And the things that we actually long for, the things that we actually seek in our lives, I believe, will begin to take place in and around us, perhaps not in the same way we thought would take place, but God begins to do something in us. So at this point, Jesus is preaching the word to this packed standing room only crowd in this house and all of a sudden these four guys pull up to this house carrying a paralyzed man now we know nothing about these guys that are carrying other than they have the ability to walk they're carrying and they got a buddy who's on a stretcher that's all we, we don't know their names their ages their backgrounds nothing absolutely nothing they show up uninvited i believe just like everybody else i don't think jesus sent out an evite and people rsvp'd and like, whoa, everybody said yes. Like, I don't think this is what happened. People are coming. They're hungering for something, and they're showing up. So they try to go into the house, like, through the front door like normal people do. And that doesn't work. So they try to be real polite and like, excuse me, excuse me. Precious cargo coming through. Nobody's moving. Everybody's focused on Jesus and what's going on in the house. They try to do Amazon delivery, special delivery. No one moves. No one cares. Alexa wasn't around. So they try going around the back of the house to no avail. They're stuck. So finally, they, they take their buddy, and they're like, hey, we're going to put him over here, and they lay him down. And at this point, his friend on the stretcher is getting a little bit upset because he's like, how is this house not ADA compliant? They, like, they should have something. They should have at least handicap parking. This is ridiculous. This is actually really rude. So he's getting a little bit bent out of shape, and his friend's like, hey, we got this. We just need you to trust us. Trust us in this. We're going to come up with the plan. So the guy bends over and he's like, all right, watch this. This house, this phone is the house. You're this rock right over here. You're gonna be moving here. And I need you to stand over here and I need you to throw a rock at this camel that's over here. Everybody's attention is gonna go towards that camel. But we can't, we gotta figure out how to get to Jesus. So you can't miss this throw. You got it? You gotta hit that camel. He's like, I got it. I, I got a good game. He's like, yeah, let's see. Now, when everybody turns around, we're all going to rush over here, and then we're going to take our buddy, and we're going to climb on this side of the house, and we're going to go up top. By the time they take care of the camel, we're going to be on top of the roof unnoticed. You got this? Now, you two are going to remove everything, all the patch on the roof. We're going to remove it. You're going to do it quickly and carefully, because we can't afford to destroy Jesus' house. He's going to be really ticked off. All right, got it? And good thing I brought this rope, because this rope, we're going to lower our friend down. And now we're going to lower him down, and here's the thing. Remember, the religious leaders are there. At that point, it's all 100% up to Jesus. That's all we're going to do. We're going to lower him there. Are you guys in? He goes, yeah, so this is your mission should you choose to accept it. And they're like, we're in, let's do this. The guy on the mat's like, hey, what's going on? He's like, hey, you just hang tight. We're gonna lower you to Jesus. He's like, how's this gonna happen? So the, the guy's like, Autobots, roll out. So they do this, it goes off. The camel's going crazy. Suddenly there's utter chaos in this house because they don't know if the camel just came through the roof, what in the world is going on? And all of a sudden there's this man being lowered. 
right in front of Jesus and the religious leaders of his time. And what's fascinating is in all of this, Jesus isn't thrown off. He's not distracted. This is what scripture says. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, just that simple phrase. See, at this point, we're not sure exactly whose their faith is. Did he just see the faith of the four men? Did only two of them have faith? Did all five have faith, including the guy on the stretcher? I don't know. This is the first time that faith is actually mentioned in the book of Mark. And if you notice, it's within this context of action. It's not just some cognitive process of understanding something in a cerebral kind of way or a feeling of, I think I have faith. No, it's this action. If they really believe, so they're going to whatever extent they need to to get their friend in front of Jesus. And what's, what's fascinating to me is that Jesus isn't turned off by their actions. Like, man, that was really disrespectful. Who's gonna fix that? Like, that was a little much. You could have just waited to the end. I would have prayed with you at the end. We would have been fine. But I think Jesus sees, and actually what we see is this encouragement in Jesus in the way he's engaging these men. Remember, Jesus always looks towards our faith. However small, however large, however selfish, however selfless, he's always looking toward our faith. In their desperation to get in front of Jesus, their faith led them to do something bold, something that required strength and courage. See, faith is not for the weak. Faith is not a crutch that just simply so we can get through life and try to cope. Faith is what fuels the follower of Jesus Christ, even in difficult times. Faith feeds our hope, our thoughts, our actions, our everything. Or does it? Or is it simply an afterthought? Jesus continues, he said to the paralyzed man. House booked, who knows what is going on, and suddenly it's just Jesus and this man. And he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. That's a powerful phrase. But if I just broke this dude's roof to get inside, and he says, hey, I'm waiting for the miracle, and Jesus looks at me, and I'm like, yes, he's looking at me, and he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. You're like, oh, come on. Like, I, I, legs would be good. Legs, legs would be really helpful right now. Because I would have jumped in here, but if you noticed, I can't. So the dude's just laying here. I'm not sure how he's positioned. Everybody's trying to figure out who this guy is and what he wants. And then Jesus looks at him and says, your, your sins are forgiven. What a letdown that's got to be for a second. Just in there like, whoa, cool. Like, you know, a little kid that's practicing opening presents on YouTube a couple years ago? An avocado. Thanks. The parents are teaching this kid how to, how to say thank you. Whatever present you get, you're supposed to be excited about. I, I think that this is what this guy felt, that all of a sudden he has to be extremely thankful because Jesus just forgave his sin, even though that's not at all what he was asking for. Like maybe that forgiveness can come with some actual legs. Like that, that would be really cool, Jesus. See, I think many times the healing we seek doesn't compare to what Jesus really wants to give us. We think, if I just had this, but Jesus says, I want to give you more. I want to give you more than you can imagine, more than you can dream of. And that's our God. And two things worth noting is that Jesus immediately recognizes this man as son. Just that term of affection, of adoption, of acceptance, of endearment, is bringing Je Jesus is bringing him into the fold. And Jesus makes a connection, which is interesting, between this man's illness and his sin. 
I believe this is only the second, maybe third place in scripture where there's a connection between sin and illness. Most other places, they're disconnected. But see, Jesus saw beyond just his crippled body. He saw his crippled heart. And Jesus sees every part of us. Seen so many other places in scripture, someone's disease stands apart from their personal sin. This is, when you read the context, it's nuanced. I am convinced that many, many times our physical infirmities can be a manifestation of a spiritual condition. Sometimes it's just because you hurt your leg, like I did the other day playing FIFA with my son. I kicked the chair that's been there for years, and just, oh, come on, oh, in my foot now, it hurts like crazy. Is that a spiritual condition? Stupidity might be a spiritual condition. Um, but there, there are things that we carry in our bodies that are manifested when they build up over time. Stress, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, depression, contempt, anxiety, you name it. It begins to manifest itself that we aren't able to be the person we want to be physically because there's so many things emotionally, spiritually that we're carrying. See, as the soul heals, so does the body. As the soul and spirit heals, every part of us becomes whole. And here's the beautiful thing, is that Jesus is capable of doing both, of bringing wholeness to both. Yes, the paralyzed, paralyzed man's friends had faith, but the second Jesus calls him son, there's a personal side to it. Jesus invites him into a direct personal relationship. Not one of sick person to healer, but one of father and son. This is huge. And imagine as this man is initially disappointed, he's also beginning to understand the gravity of what Jesus has just done for him. See, this man just wanted to walk just to get around life, and Jesus says, I want to teach you how to walk spiritually. I want to teach you how to walk by faith. That's a gift. Remember, the religious leaders are still sitting there thinking, what in the world is going on? And they say, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, blasphemy during this time was punishable by faith. Only God had the power to forgive sins. So who does this guy think he is forgiving other people's sins? The religious leaders were interested in keeping certain people out and certain people in into their circle. That they somehow thought they were the mouthpiece of God to people in their society. And a common Jewish belief was that sin was caused by sickness. And you see that in several places. In Job, you see it in John, you see it in James. You also see it when Jesus is encountered with uh, his disciples, and there's a blind man, and they ask Jesus, who sent him or the blind man? Uh, who sent his parents or the blind man? And Jesus says, neither one. This exists so the Son of Man can be glorified. Jesus separates the two. In this case, it's a little difference, a little different. See, ultimately, the breaking of shalom, the way things ought to be, the, the God's intended order, is what is called sin. It's more than just a list of things that we did or did not do. When you break the way things are supposed to be, when you break the order, that is sin. And that's why I think the psalmist ultimately cries out in Psalm 51. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. The sin that we commit is not just against one another, but ultimately against God. And the Jews would understand this context when Jesus is sitting here saying, son, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus not only knew the sins of the paralyzed man, but he also knew the thoughts of the religious leaders. So immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? These guys are going to be like. I love it. Jesus doesn't back off. He actually presses in. He says, which is easier, 
to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. And imagine a little conversation begin to ensue. Their thoughts are going crazy, racing. It's a really good question. See, if I tell you right now your sins are forgiven, how would you know? How would you know that someone else's sins were just forgiven? Like, oh, there's no verifiable immediate proof right now. How would you know? Because that is an act of faith. And only God can dispense forgiveness. But Jesus declares his paralytic forgiven. And he doesn't say God has forgiven you. He says son, implying that he's father. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus is equating himself with the father. The religious leader notices. So do all the other good Jews around there. See, they made the religious leaders really uncomfortable at this point because now we have a person who's actually performing miracles, doing stuff, and now he's actually forgiving sin. Just a little side note for us to keep in mind. God cannot be controlled, contained, or tamed. And never, ever will he be owned. When you pray to a God that is very limiting in your mind, then you're praying to a very small God of what he can do. When you and I pray, we're praying to a God who makes the impossible possible, who makes a way where there is no way. He says, I am that God. When you pray, that is what we're praying. And sometimes we have these impossible situations. We don't know what's up. We don't know what's down. We don't know how we're going to get out of this. Let me tell you, God knows. He says, I want you to have faith in me. So these guys are trying to think like, yeah, how do you know? Yeah, we can know now on this side of the cross that we are forgiven. Why? Because the spirit of God testifies to our spirit that we're saved. Because we have the inner working of the spirit in our lives. You have fruit in your life. You begin to see these things. But in that moment, that, those men, those, that man's sin was forgiven because Jesus said it, spoke it. It was. And now he's activating his faith. And this man is believing this, like, I mean, I'm, I'm restored, not just physically, but I'm not being restored spiritually. And Jesus goes on, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Son of Man was a title that Jesus ascribed to himself. It appears 14 times in the book of Mark. It's a relatively unassuming term. It has free of political and military innuendos or undertones. It's unassuming for the regular Joe, and yet it's very direct. In his forgiving of sins, Jesus is ascribing to himself something that only God can do. Everyone knew this at this point. Religious leaders, I know, are about to lose their mind. They're thinking, who does he think he is coming in here doing this? And here's the beautiful part, is that Jesus knows exactly who he is and what he's capable of. He doesn't need the verification of anybody else. See, Jesus already displayed authority over nature, demons, and disease, and affliction, and now he's demonstrating authority and power over sin. The same authority and power to heal is the same authority and power to forgive. All of this is happening, and this guy's still laying there. And he's trying to think, like, okay, this is fascinating and all, uh, but I still can't walk. Like, I hear you guys going back and forth. This is really cool, but I can't do this. See, it's possible to be forgiven and not healed and vice versa, to be healed and not forgiven. And I think Jesus wants both for just, not just this man, but for us. He wants us not just forgiven, 
for breaking shalom with him in so many different ways. But he wants to heal us. Some of us are broken and fragmented inside, and he says, I want to heal you. Yes, you're saved. You're forgiven. You're my son. You're my daughter. But now I want to heal you. It's going to require something of us. It's a holistic approach, really, to the kingdom that we begin to see in the story. He wants to heal us emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. Every part of us, he wants to heal in our relationships. And this, for me, I started to ask myself, do we really want it, though? Do we really want it? Do we want it all? That's part of what desperation is, is a dependence on God, an ever-growing dependence on God. Do I really want it? Or like, nah, I'm good. I'd just be fine with legs. Forget that other stuff. I'll figure it out as I go. So I think many times we limit God in what he's able to do in our lives, not because he can't, but because we're so in control of our own lives. We're smart. We're resourceful. We have money. We have ideas. And we're going to do things our way. And so we take, because we're control freaks, we figured it out. So we take our best laid plans and we tell God, here's what we want you to do. Because you're a good God and you're a loving God, so you got to bless what I want. And if he doesn't do that, then I have the audacity to now turn on him. Versus I look at the paralytic and he says, I got nothing. I got nothing. Everything I get from this point on is from you. You tell me how to move. You tell me where to go. It's not that we don't have desires, but God, I give you all of that. My desires, my dream, I lay them down. And I begin to trust him. So we go seeking God for one thing, but end up receiving something different. How do we respond in that moment? It's easy to get upset because it wasn't what I wanted. But God's saying, I'm doing a greater work. That's the beauty of it. Because we serve a powerful, caring, wise God. He knows what we need better than we do. He gives us what we need, when we need it, how we need it, as he sees fit. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. I can just imagine everyone packed into this little house. I believe you could hear a pin drop. The feelings that are beginning to to bubble up, to swell up in everyone. Just in hearing Jesus' words. Forgiveness of sins? Okay. But is this guy going to actually walk out of here? Because we just saw how he came in here. Is this guy actually going to walk out like all of us here? And the cripple who had been bound to this mat for who knows how long looks at his friends and they lock eyes together thinking, this is the whole reason we busted this roof open. This is the whole reason. Is this actually happened? That which he had been longing for Jesus to do is now being offered to him on a silver platter. Now pick up your mat and walk. This convergence of faith has led him to this moment. His friend's faith, they're creepers on the roof looking down, still trying to figure out what's going on, hoping they don't fall in. See, his friends aren't there to pick him up now. You can only coast along so long. 
on somebody else's faith. At some point, it falls on you. And he's beginning to think, what in the world? I can think of his friend's eyes filling up with tears, thinking he's going to walk. This is what we've been hoping for. And suddenly, this man begins to feel a twitch in his foot that he hasn't felt in a long time. And he begins to move his legs and begins to move the other foot. The sensation is real, tingling up, not just in his legs, but his spine. Was it all in his head? Is this really happening? The apprehension he must have felt. Am I caught up in just the emotion of it all? The fear. The hesitation, like, is this me moving or is me thinking I'm moving? Or do I, like, how, how did he do this? Was he laying on his belly? Was he laying on his side? I, don't, I have no idea. But I just begin to think of how movement begins to enter his body. But at the same time in that juncture, the courage, the strength, the faith, the joy. Jesus granted him what he'd been longing for. Their desperate faith led him to that moment. And now he begins to move. And everyone's watching. Faith is always tethered with action. He can't just say, I sim- thank you, Jesus, I believe. You guys come get me? Pick me up, pick me up. Get me out of here. There's no pulling him up. And this man begins to now take a step. And now he stands tall. And he looks around the room and now everyone, all eyes are on him. And then he has to bend over and begin to roll up the mat that he's laid on for years as a reminder of where he's been and hold it publicly. And suddenly the room begins to make way where there wasn't way before. Now people are beginning to get out of his way for him to walk out. And he's sitting there and Jesus is like, all right, go home. And he begins to walk on his own on the way out. He took up his mat and he walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. His desperate faith for Jesus led him to be right in front of him. And Jesus forgave him and Jesus healed him. You know, and I wonder, this band comes up, I I wonder, where is our faith leading us? If if our faith is so inward about my well-being, it's not really faith. It's more worry. But where is my faith taking me? Where is my faith taking my friends, my family? Am I willing to be so desperate for others that I'm do, I will do anything I can so they can be in front of Jesus? Not to win some debate based on politics or things going on in this world or anything else, but if they could just encounter the living Christ. 
Because I think the very thing that the people were wanting and longing for and sensing back then for something real and authentic, we still crave today. May our faith be that kind of faith that leads people to Jesus, to know the living Christ. What kind of world would, how would it be different if, if we had that kind of faith in all that we did? What if we had the kind of faith that these guys did for their paralyzed friend? You have a child, you have a friend, you have a loved one. Part of the way you carry that is in prayer. You make space in your day to pray for your kids, to pray for one another, to say, I'm not going to let up. We are rooftop people. That's what we're known for. So God, we're going to take this to you over and over, and I'm not going to give up. I will figure it out. Let me tell you this. Jesus always looks towards faith and takes action on our behalf. Are we desperate enough for, to allow God to actually do something in our lives? Or do we still have it all under control? We got this. We'll figure it out. When I talk about a desperate faith, I'm talking about us surrendering to him. I think we can identify with everyone in the story. Sometimes we're the skeptics, we're the religious leaders, like, no way, no way. This can't happen. Some of us right now in life are the four, one of the four friends willing to do whatever it takes, using our resources and everything just to take people to Jesus. Here it is. Some of us are the paralyzed man. We've been carried around by our friends. And I believe Jesus is in this space. He says, now it's time for you to pick up your mad walk. You're like, but I don't. Pick up your mat and walk. This is why you've come. This is what you've been longing for. He says, I want to teach you how to walk and be present differently than you've ever been. That's the gift that Jesus gives us all. And Jesus sees us in our brokenness, in our imperfection, in our sin, in our desperation. And he says, son, he says, daughter, I love you, you're mine. But now pick up your mat and walk. He doesn't just leave us there on that mat. He wants a church that is open to him. To say, I'm willing to stand up, God. I don't know what that means for me right here, right now. To stand up in your marriage, to stand up in your relationships with your kids. to figure out what it means to stand from a place you've been lying there for so long you thought that was the end and all you had was a glimmer of hope but now it's reality God gives us the strength to be able to say get up roll up your mat and walk whenever we ask God to do something for us we must be prepared to do something in response I find this all throughout scripture. It's not this poof. It just happened. How cute. God's so cool. God says, now walk. Now move. Now give. Now forgive. 
Now humble yourself. Follow me. Abide. It's all throughout. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for the way you continue to be present in our lives. Lord, I ask that as we reflect on your goodness, that not only do you forgive, but you heal. You want us whole. But I pray for wholeness now. Lord, we need you to make us whole. There's parts of us that are, that are broken. We've gotten used to it. But you don't want us to live this way. And I believe there's a growing desperation in us for you. There's nothing else. We might run to all sorts of things. But Lord, it's only you. And I wonder this morning, if you're desperate for anything in your life, for God to do something, if you're bold right now to raise your hand and say, God, would you do something here in me? Raise them high. I want to see these hands throughout the room. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are longing for you, desperate for you. Not just desperate in a going crazy kind of way, but Lord, we're longing for you to move in our midst. Lord, would you ignite a fire within us, a longing for you, a submission to you, Whatever needs to die, let it die. Whatever we need to let go, may we let go. We take up whatever we need to when you give wisdom and freedom and healing to us as your church. Move, Holy Spirit, we ask. We praise you. In your name we ask all of this. And all of God's people said We're so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.